HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at comté-usa.com. That's c-o-m-t-e-usa.com. Hi there, I'm Yom, host of Item 13, an African food podcast. I am excited to be joining the Heritage Radio Network this year as we kick off our fourth season of the podcast. On Item 13, we cover all aspects of the African food ecosystem. You will hear West Africans squabble over who has the best jollof. Newsflash, it's Ghana. It's time to celebrate our jollof. Like we are done with comparing who and who did what. Yeah. And jollof is not just about even the rice, it's about the protein that goes with it. Guests share their expertise on African food ingredients and spices. This is a region where, you know, even if you look at 18th century maps, you know, you had something called the pepper coast. Fresh and aromatic peppers. That is what distinguishes West Africa. Tips on marketing food businesses. A good way to engage your audience is to take them on that journey. You know, get them talking about this idea you have. That way you're engaging them. They're engaging with each other and you're getting useful insights that you can then pull from and use to develop your recipe. This season, my goal is to focus on more stories outside of English-speaking West Africa. So you'll hear stories from Benin, from Uganda, Liberia, and even Haiti. You'll also hear us discuss the impact of the Black Lives Matter movement and how COVID-19 has impacted some of the businesses featured on the show. You can catch up now on previous episodes of Item 13, wherever you listen to podcasts, and join us this season as we debut on HRN. Thank you. I'm delighted to be interviewing Jessica Kesselman today on Cutting the Curd because we've we have asked her to join us with some pilot shows on cutting the curd and to bring in another point of view and to commend her years spent in cheese. Welcome, Jessica. 
Thank you, Diane. It's good to be here. Great. So I must admit, we know each other. Yes. Have been way back when we were both uh, working at Murray's Cheese. That's right. Do you recall when we met? I don't know. <laughs> Do I don't remember a specific meeting moment. Yes. Um, I just remember that suddenly we were having dinner together pretty frequently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I well, was heard anyone about else you. involved? I'm sorry. Was anyone else having dinner with us? Not at first. At first, oh. we were just hanging out. Um, oh, cool. I can't believe you don't remember this. <laughs> but um, I like to um, uh, think back on our dinners as an evolution into something that um, grew and grew. We added more people to our monthly dinners. And, yes, we did. Yeah. And, uh, and actually, now there's a whole community of women in cheese in New York City, who for a while we were getting together oh, do you uh, almost think monthly. We started Women in Cheese. I know that um, the conversations around getting women together um, to in the talk industry about, to talk right. and to network and socialize, uh, the discussions about that happening. Um, I remember them happening uh, around the time that we were having our monthly dinners with just a few of us. And um, we stopped having dinner when Women and Cheese started. Oh, so okay. I do okay. think it, um, I do think the uh, Women and Cheese group provided us with the same kind mm -hmm. of social and right. professional outlet. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, so you worked mostly at Grand Central, did you I not? Did. And I did. did you work with Will? I did. Was he your initial boss? No, actually, my initial boss was Tom Van Voorhees, who's now oh. at Rogue Creamery. Oh, right, right. The great thing I have to say about the, the, that time, um, working at Marie's Cheese Shop in New York City, when you and I were there... Uh, was a really exciting time to get into cheese because it was when the American artisanal cheese movement really was, yes was yeah booming. it was just starting yeah it was, it was starting. like yeah it was just starting and it was um it was on a trajectory that um, took off pretty pretty fast yeah and now so many people. Uh, that we worked with at that time are still working in cheese all across the country in different capacities. And uh, it's really exciting just to see not only where they went, but also where those cheese makers who were really new to the scene at the time, mm -hmm. where they've mm -hmm. gone. Yeah. Jasper Hill was coming in with mm -hmm. their cheeses in the beginning. So was Meadow Creek Dairy and right. even right. Vermont Creamery. Even right. Vermont Creamery. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and so Rogue, we really, Rogue and River, Rogue, yeah. and where Tom ended up. Yep. Yep. So we really got to see the evolution of a lot of um, small, uh, both farmstead and um, also, you know, just smaller artisanal cheesemakers, um, just where they started. Some of them aren't even making the same cheeses anymore. I mean, we've right. all been on a right. learning curve that's taken us to uh, to new heights. Okay. Now, when did you start at Murray's? Uh, 
I don't remember the year. Okay. I, think, <laughs> I know it. I, I think know, it was 05. That would make sense. Um, <laughs> I, my, <laughs> so a lot of my life is based around when children were born. Okay. So, um, okay. My, uh, so my previous professional life, I was in education. I was a teacher. I was um, an, a consultant in the um, education reform movement uh, back in the early 2000s. Um, you know, the movement to open smaller schools and such. And uh, I had my son in August of 2004, and I really was not looking forward to going back to work in the same capacity that Mm -hmm. I had done before. Mm -hmm. So I um, did what we all did when we were looking for work at that time. I went on Craigslist (laughs) and I (laughs) typed in, part-time jobs. And lo and behold, uh, Marie's Cheese Shop was looking for part-time cheesemongers. Really? And, yeah. And the, on the biggest thing. On, on Craigslist. Craigslist. <laughs> yes. And uh, I, you know, I was born in Greenwich Village and we lived on Bleecker Street. Um, I was a one of those kids from the suburbs that got into the city whenever she could. My parents were really into spending time in the city and buying great food. So mm-hmm. I knew I knew what Marie's uh, was. I knew what it represented. Um, and I uh, and then I thought, why not? Why not do it? Let's see. And I had a great interview. And um, with whom? With with, was, with No, no, no. It was with um, with a friend of yours and mine. Um, I don't know if I can just start saying names of people on the radio, but yeah, um, it was our friend Sarah. okay, it was our friend Sarah who was part oh. of our original cheese dinner group. Right, right, right. And um, and uh, now wasn't she at Murray's, uh, the original Murray's? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, she was so- helping Tom find somebody to assist him. Yeah, I think that what what was happening was they were probably hiring more than a few people because I do think at that time was it the business was really starting to grow. Oh, okay. It wasn't just opened. No, no. And, um, and I just feel really lucky that I was able to have that opportunity. I remember, you know, I mean, it definitely wasn't all about money because hour, you know, getting an hourly wage in New York City at that time, you it wasn't the $15 an hour. Now it was, <laughs> it wasn't great money, but it I was, was 10 out of or nine or something horrible. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> but the people were fantastic. Yes. The education yes. on the job was, oh, it was cheese paradise. It was unmatched, you know, and, um, <laughs> And I have to say, working in Grand Central Terminal in the market there had a kind of frenetic energy that mm-hmm. that really made working there um, interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But it was a lot of fun. It was a mm-hmm. lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. I, and how know, many days a week did you work? I think I had um, I had two shifts uh, during the week, and then I had I worked on Saturdays. Oh, cool! Yeah. Ah, so I only worked one day a week because of my unusual situation. Yes. Um, and but I learned 
so much at Murray's, you know, mm-hmm. it just, it just, the cheese, oh, it was yep. just delicious. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you know, working in New York City and working at these specialty food stores, you got to, you know, work with some really interesting customers. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there have been times in my current job now when I um, I'm still in sales and I get Mm -hmm. to meet with a lot of buyers and Mm -hmm. uh, people who work in distribution and who work in retail. and, And a lot of the people I get to work with talk about that time and even earlier than that in New York City like the Mm -hmm. beginning of Dean and DeLuca the beginning of Mm -hmm. Fairway Mm -hmm. the beginning of um really the opportunity to buy such quality ingredients from you know specialty food uh in New York City and even uh it was then it was really then and and just to hear people talk about that time you know and when I started at Murray's you know it was well and you know had the the scene of specialty food was pretty well established by then, but, right. um, but Murray's was really just beginning to become, you know, this nationwide uh, brand. Right. Um, right. That happened while you and I were there. So yes. um, it was, it was well, a great it, time it to be smaller. there. It had just moved across the street perhaps. Mm-hmm. And then it was small originally. Right. You know, there was something next door or something. Yeah, I don't remember the what store. No, well, Amy's was on the corner, but you know, it, it, what I always thought was interesting was that the Bleecker Street location looks out across the street at its old location on the yes. corner, yes. which was this long, narrow, um, you know, store. There wasn't a lot of space in there at all. <laughs> no, there and wasn't. and like I said, I, I you and know, it was I, a dangerous uh, dive. To the basement. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure it was. As, as you know, was. yes, yes. You know, walking the streets of New York City, you get to see every once in a while. You get a glimpse of what those cellar stairs look like from uh, outside. <laughs> right, right. Now, um, now you went to, uh, you left Murray's for two positions. What were those positions? Um. One so, was Vermont uh, Cream. Vermont Creamery? Yeah. Well, no, actually, um, so <laughs> I I left Murray's because I had another baby. <laughs> oh, the third uh, baby. Like I said, there's my life is marked by the birth of children. Um, oh my so gosh. my uh, third child, I, I was teaching classes um, at Murray's. Uh, classroom in Bleecker Street mm-hmm. um, twice a month uh, mm-hmm. throughout my pregnancy. And, you know, I, my last class was in January and then my daughter was born in February. Mm-hmm. And when I decided to go back to work, um, you know, one of the things I, I did was um, I started doing demos for Vermont Creamery, um, which was fun because I just wanted to be able to stay connected to cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also worked, um, at Lucy's way in, uh-huh. uh, Chelsea market. Now I thought you had another intervening job at the, at the farm. Yeah. So the farm, um, is actually what stole me away from being a cheesemonger. Ah, um, so, okay. uh, so actually 
one of the underlying themes to all of this, and I remember very clearly interviewing with Sarah um, at Murray's when I was interviewing, um, we had a discussion about the connection between the cheese maker and the customer mm-hmm. and about um, knowing where your food came from and knowing who made your food mm-hmm. and how important that was to me. And uh, here I live in Rockland County and there was a, um, well, there's, there's a lot of, um, or there were a lot of historic farms here mm-hmm. uh, that over the year of they've disappeared. They've, um, usually, uh, you know, uh, the matriarch and patriarch, um, pass away. The children don't want to continue farming and, and they sell the land. And, mm-hmm. um, I was in our local library, uh, and I saw a postcard that said, do you want to start a community farm in your town? And mm-hmm. I, thought, wow, these, these, you know, there was a photo of some really happy and interesting looking people uh-huh. <laughs> um, gathered in front of a tractor. And I was like, wow, that sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, I kind of, you know, I reached out to them and I ended up becoming part of a group that became um, an organization, a nonprofit organization called Rockland Farm Alliance. Mm-hmm. And we established a community farm uh, in New City mm-hmm. in Rockland County. And um, part of my role there was um, to help establish the CSA, the Community mm-hmm. Supported Agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more I got involved with Rockland Farm Alliance and starting this farm, which is called Cropsey Community Farm, mm-hmm. I uh, realized, you know, my, my time and attention was being pulled towards the farm. And so mm-hmm. I stepped away from the counter. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I started um, a summer program for kids called Junior Farmers Program. I got, um, I started the volunteer program there. Mm -hmm. I started the school trip. I visited you there. And you did. You came up for one of our little harvest festivals. Uh And um, But years later, I think. I think it was only a couple years later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm Um, and it, you came up with our dinner crew, our, our little mm. group of friends. <laughs> it always comes back to the, oh. to the dinners. Um, but, you know, it was, it, it was a really great experience. It was really hard work. Um, uh-huh. I'm still friendly with a number of the people in that project. The farm is still mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And, oh, um, yeah. So, but you um, eventually left for Lucy's Way. No, I, I, they stole me away from Lucy's Way. Oh, they stole you. Oh, yes. okay. okay. Yeah. So that was after Lucy's way. Mm-hmm. It's okay. I was I was a a volunteer with the farm. Like we were all volunteers. We were a scrappy mm-hmm. nonprofit trying to start. You know, every every penny we raised went towards you know farm equipment and paying a farm team and um and uh, eventually they were like, what can we do to get you to work here? And mm-hmm. I kind of had to lay it down, like, you need to at least match what I'm making at Lucy's Way. And so mm-hmm. we made it happen. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I read in, in one of your things that you um, were assembling gift baskets at a cheese shop in junior high. Yes. What cheese were you putting in those baskets? And did you always like cheese? 
so, <laughs> so I don't know what cheese I was putting in there. I know there was brie uh-huh. because this was the seventies. So, or maybe it was, no, it was early eighties. I'm not that old. Um, but, uh, it was just the beginning of the eighties. And, um, I remember jams and I remember crackers and then I do remember brie and there was probably cheddar. I really didn't know anything about, um, food. Uh, mm-hmm. my, you know, as much as my parents were, um, uh, culture vultures and really into um, dining out and, mm-hmm. and you know, we make our weekly run into the city to go to Zabar's. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know much about cheese and we were not eating like that at home, mm-hmm. um, you know, very mm-hmm. often, except when there was company. And then mm-hmm. suddenly out came the cheese board. And now, uh, did you have a starter cheese? What was your <laughs> initial cheese? Affection. Okay, so I knew you were going to ask me this, um, <laughs> and I just want to put it out there: there is no shame in cheese. My <laughs> the cheese that like my big like aha moment about cheese and 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 what the power of cheese can do was um, Havarti with dill. Ah, and, okay, that's not embarrassing. Well. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it was back in the day. It's back in the day. No, it wasn't that far back in the day. It was <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in in uh, my in my twenties, in my mid to late twenties, when everybody was getting married. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all of our friends are starting to get married. Um, my my crew of friends, um, we've all known each other for a really long time. We made a habit of uh, going camping together every summer. Mm-hmm. And often it would be before someone's wedding. We would all get together mm-hmm. and we'd go camping for a week and we'd show up at the wedding, you know, like in need of showers and such. But, um, and, uh, and so it became like something, you know, that we always did together. And I have this one friend, Josh, who would always bring the Havarti with dill. <laughs> and I'm telling you, there are just certain foods you know, you, you build these really strong food memories. And, right, um, right. And there's something about Havarti with dill when you're camping. You know, it's like camping coffee. You know, it's like there's certain things when you come right, right. outside and you're just right. taking Hungry. your switchblade and you're just yeah. like, you know, cutting off a piece. And I think we were eating it with Triscuits. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was so good. And it just had so many great memories attached to it. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. that's it. I think I'm, mine is more embarrassing. What I, is it? I'm Italian, so I think I did have some Parmesan. But I also had Cracker Barrel, which uh-huh. my father liked. And I think it was the one with the red and purple in it. Oh, the you, wine, che- the port wine cheese? Yes. Oh, yes. yeah. Well, that was always on that that board of, um, you know, for entertaining in the 70s. Growing right, up. right. Oh, my right, God. I right. love that stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Do they still make it? They still make it. Oh, I'm, I'm going to have to get some. Often you'll see it start to come out right about now. You'll see it all the oh. way through to the end of the year. It's a, it's a holiday <laughs> cheese. It's also a big um, club store cheese. You'll see it at Costco. You'll see it at BJ's. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, did you say you grew up on Bleecker Street? Uh, I didn't grow up there, um, but my when my parents met, they were both working for NYU. 
Mm -hmm. And so when they got married and had me, we were living in NYU faculty housing, the tall apartment buildings on Lake Mata, Houston. Okay. Uh, that how between Houston and Bleecker. And, um, so that's, that's where, uh, that's where I started. (laughs) There is, my mother does say there is a story. She likes to tell of, um, taking me into a shop, which I like to think is the old Murray's before Rob Calfelt bought it. Um, because she tells me there was a time they were in a shop and I, got a hold of a container of grated Parmigiano Reggiano and I dumped it on my head. Mm-hmm. And she <laughs> talks about how it was like trying to get gum out of hair. I think she ended up having to cut a lot of my hair off. Oh no. Um, oh, but no. you know, it could have been foreshadowing. So. Now we have to take a break, uh, mm-hmm. but we'll be right back with Jessica Kesselman. of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Conté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conté. Conté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conté is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Conté is the same, Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conte is unique. Learn more about Conte, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E hyphen U-S-A dot com. I'm back with Jessica Kesselman uh, interviewing her because she's going to be joining the show somewhat uh, for some pilot sessions. And um, she's worked at Murray's a long time and then uh, Lucy's Way. Now, can you tell us a little bit about Lucy's Way? So Lucy's Way... Um, and is it still open? It is not. Oh. And it um, was pre-COVID that it closed? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's been, it's been some time. I, I um, haven't, you know, my, my association with Lucy's Way, other than as a customer, ended, you know, quite a while ago. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, what made Lucy's Way so unique um, in their beginnings is that they only sold cheeses made in the United States. Mm. So that was a really interesting, um, experience and to be able to, you know, 
really educate people on uh, what's available and what's out there and what people are doing in the cheese world. Um, and because it was, again, Chelsea's market, Chelsea market, I don't know what it is about me and these busy places where people pass through in large numbers, <laughs> but <laughs> just like Grand Central Terminal, it was, you know, exciting. It, it, it was exciting. And, and you got to meet people from all over the world because they were visiting, you know, a lot of tourists, but then you also got to meet people who lived in the neighborhood and who would make, you know, shopping in these places part of their, their ritual. Uh Um, And uh, again, worked with some phenomenal people, including, um, you know, Murray's alums, which was great. And um, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Okay. Okay. So um, now you work for Cardis McKenna marketing. Yep. Yep. And what do you do for them? So I, um, I am a, um, the boring title is account executive, uh, but, um, what I am is, um, like a sales representative for a number of companies that don't have a sales team in the New York Metro area. So the term that people generally use for what we do is broker. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, sometimes that word has some negative associations with it mm-hmm. because you're kind of like the middleman and, um, it can't always be, uh, it's a little ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're really uh, acting as an introducer. I'm acting as an introducer and also as a representative of the company, um, whose products I'm presenting. So again, it's everything that a sales rep would do if they were employed directly by that company. But most Mm -hmm. of the time, it's because they, you know, these come a lot of the companies we work with are emerging brands. Um, Mm -hmm. They're smaller. They're just trying to. Some of them are just trying to get a foothold in the New York metro area. Some of them are established brands that just need a little extra support, and um, we're able to provide them with the sales force here, but we're also able to give them feedback, uh, help them with their marketing, um, and, um, really, really just do what we can to, you know, establish them in, in the marketplace in this part of the country. Now, do they leave eventually? Do they, do they succeed and leave you or do they get a pass? You know, sometimes that happens. Is it happy or do you want to keep them? Well, you always want to keep them because again, like, I think it's all always like working with great people. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really, you know, one of the things the threads through this whole story is, is just the people you get to meet in this industry Uh, Mm -hmm. is just, I think most people who work in this industry feel that way. You just, you meet these amazing people. You get to go on these journeys with them to Mm -hmm. uh, help them succeed. We, um, uh, we know each other's stories of, of, the, of the brand, of the company, of the farm, of the development of a product. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when they do move on, sometimes it's because they, they outgrow us. They mm-hmm. can hire their own sales team mm-hmm. or they merge with another company or whatever. You know, sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes it's not the right fit. But, mm-hmm. um, but the, common, the common thread in all of it is just working with great people who share mm-hmm. a passion for great food. Mm-hmm. 
I love the I love the companies we work with. I love my coworkers, and I feel really lucky that um, the Cardus and McKenna, um, <laughs> the two individuals whose names are in the company, are two mm-hmm. um, very highly respected people in this industry. I've learned so much from them. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Now I don't know them. I don't. I've never met. Oh. Where well, are they located? So uh, McKenna um, is uh, based in San Francisco. Oh, okay. Area and Cardoose McKenna is based in uh, the East Coast. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, so my big question for today is how? I mean, it's a depressing question. Okay. How has the pandemic affected the cheese industry in the beginning, in the middle, and in the end? Well, we don't even know when the end is, but should we discuss that? I think it's uh, unavoidable. <laughs> yeah, because when um, you sounded so cheerful, I didn't want to bum you out, but it's like it's going on. It's going on. Yeah. So, um, so most of the companies that I work with in my role, uh, now, um, it are cheese companies, cheese makers. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are, uh, are they small, some of them are small, some of them are medium and some of them are large. So, mm-hmm. uh, we work with, uh, cheese makers in the United States. And then we also work with a few from abroad. Uh-huh. And uh, they may be big there, but they are not so big in the U.S. yet. So mm-hmm. you know, we're helping them build that here. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, like you know, in the beginning, it was the experience—you uh, know, the universal experience—where suddenly you had to take care of your employees, you had to take care of yourself, you had to take uh-huh. care of your business, and and, um, and doing that meant. Um, you know, hitting the pause button as much as you could to be safe. But, you know, it's like um, changing the tire while driving the car because, you know, cows still need to be milked and cheese is perishable and it's sitting on a, you know, in a container on a boat that's halfway across the ocean. It's going to land, you know, so... So not everything ground to a halt, but what did Mm -hmm. grind to a halt was a large chunk of the market, which Mm -hmm. is food service, Mm -hmm. Um, restaurants being a large part of that food service, but also, Mm -hmm. you know, the hotel industry, schools, um, uh, any kind of institution, ballparks, uh, anywhere where you serve food, it's shut down. Yeah. 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 And still is. uh, Mostly. Yeah. Yeah. In many ways. Yes. And, um, so I think once people were, you know, kind of got their bearings, they had to figure out like, what do we, how do what we, do we sell do now? food or how, yeah. how can we circumvent this, even though it's still going on? Right. And it's not just the, um, the producers of food and the sellers of food that had to figure it out. It was also the consumers. Right. I mean, all of us had to figure out how are we going to get our groceries? Right. Am I going out to a store? Am I, is it safe? What do I do? What are my options? Right. And so, um, so that, that I think was trying to figure out where those two things meet. And, um, in a lot of ways the where it met was online. 
So we saw a lot of um, companies and distributors very quickly figure out how do I get online to sell mm-hmm. my items. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, in, in the supermarkets and such, you know, some of the smaller retailers chose to shut down. Some, mm-hmm. you know, were able to figure out the curbside pickup as that became more uh, allowed. Uh, we even bars, mm-hmm. um, you know, would start um, some bars and like pubs, you know, that maybe sold a little bit of food. They started selling groceries because they had an mm-hmm. account with Cisco mm-hmm. or, you know, so right. people right. got really inventive and, mm-hmm. um, and it was, you know, it was a hard turn for, for everyone. I think some succeeded and were able to make it work more than others. Some mm-hmm. Some retailers that moved online were doing numbers bigger than uh, they had in previous years at that time of year. Um, a few reported doing holiday numbers in the middle of April. Right, right. So, but uh, that's yeah. those were unusual. I don't you think? Well, I do know um, that even now um, there are some retailers who are doing numbers above year over year, stronger than where they were last year. Okay. Um, okay. And I don't know, like, what makes that, uh, like, what's contributing Behind to that. that. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, they must um, have gotten online fast, and they have yeah. a good reputation, and they're selling a lot of food. Yeah. I mean, for some, I know it became, uh, well, where is the, where are all the people going? Especially in the city. It was like, you know, this mass exodus out of the city. Where'd they all go? Well, a lot of them went to the Hamptons. Right. So a lot of distributors and retailers focused on how do we get out to the Hamptons? Mm-hmm. How do we start delivering mm-hmm. food out there, you know, once, or twice, three times a day? Um, yeah. And then New York State, yeah, you know, going up into the Hudson Valley. Um, right. Markets up there had to figure out how to manage larger quantities of um, product. I mean, so, I mean, every every part of this could be an episode in itself. Right, but, right. Um, I think one of the interesting, well, there's a couple of things I find really interesting that came out of this. One is that you did see a lot of these bigger grocery retailers actually reduced the number of items they were selling because they couldn't mm-hmm. manage all of it. I mean, they, right. everybody was coming in for certain items and mm-hmm. they needed to be able to make space for that, for those items. And they needed to be able to manage inventory for those items. So some specialty items kind of got put on hold. Uh-huh. Um, right. The, and, the other thing I do want to mention. some fancy mm-hmm. cheese was put on hold. A lot of fancy cheese was put on hold, yeah. Which is what we love. Right, But right. it seems to have come back even to my grocery store. I think we are, you know, I would say in the last month or so, you really are starting to see uh, inventory, you know, of items ramp up again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're, you know, we're heading into the holidays. Mm-hmm. And aye, aye, aye. people are still <laughs> thinking about, like, you know, celebration. I mean, as dark as things have been, right, right, um, we right. are still looking at how to treat ourselves. And for a lot of people, it's about food. Food. You know, buying right, yourself that right. special, yeah. yeah, buying yourself that special item. And, um, you know, maybe still entertaining, but doing it on a smaller scale. And also people aren't going out as much. So they are looking right, to... Right. They're cooking. Together They're cooking and eating yes. and, and cheese is a, is a good idea. 
if you don't want to yeah, cook. Yeah, uh, one, <laughs> one retailer, cheese? yeah, well, one retailer with many, with uh, about eight, eight or nine locations in the, um, in the suburbs outside of New York City, um, their cheese department manager told me that, you know, in the, in June and July, the top selling item was um, cheese platters for uh, eight to 10 people. Hmm. And it's, you know, in June, you would have your, uh, your graduations and you have Father's right. Day. And then there was, hmm. you know, 4th of July. And instead of people going out, they were having a small group of family or mm -hmm. a small group of neighbors mm -hmm. or friends over. Mm -hmm. And what they did was they ordered a platter, a cheese platter for eight to 10 people. Well, weird, 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 weird. Uh, and yeah. I don't know, it's not over. No. It's not over and it's not going to be over, I think, for a while. I, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so we have to figure out how to eat, you know, something good. <laughs> yeah, and, and we have to figure out how to make sure that our favorite uh you know, smaller retailers and smaller producers of the food we love, how we help them stay alive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, have you heard of Victory Cheese? I have. <laughs> I was going to mention that. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I interviewed them on, on Cutting the Curd. Um, uh, Molly and uh, Susan, uh, what's her name? And... Um, it was a phenomenal interview, and it helped me understand the movement through panic, uh, okay, saving the cheese, uh, victory cheese, and I bought a coffee mug. Oh, you did? <laughs> you didn't victory? buy a victory cheese box? Oh, I did also. <laughs> Can but, I ask, what are you doing? Are you, or how are you buying cheese these days? Um, I have been purchasing it through Saxoby. Oh, great. I think is usually my go-to. You know, she's, she's easy. It comes fast. Uh, so I was going to say, are you going into the shop or are you shopping online? I've gone to, um, the one near me, Campbell Cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not gone into Saxelby. Mm -hmm. I order, I order from her yeah. online. Yeah. Yeah. Which seems silly because sometimes I order a $10 piece of cheese and it costs $10 to be delivered. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, that's, that's but, another, that's another thing about, uh, the online delivery. Yeah. Uh, but when you live alone, you don't need too much cheese. <laughs> Right. And, you know, again, you know, it's for a, a good cause. Exactly. There's a dual, right. there's a dual purpose for that. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're buying the cheese, you're getting the cheese. You're also paying, you know, in this case, Saxelby for their time and their labor mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um, helping them be able to keep bringing cheese to the people. Right. And, and I had to order scream cheese, which is a new cheese by Jasper Hill. Right. So it was like, Oh, I have to. <laughs> well, isn't that what's exciting, too, is that even though the world has kind of, you know, the timeline of things has kind of been thrown off, 
cheeses are still, you know, in being the works. Developed. And yes. they're being developed yes. and new cheeses have been released because they were already in the cave right, back right. in March. And, and um, you know, time time waits for no one when it comes to, uh, <laughs> to cheese. To cheese. Yes. <laughs> but it's, you know, yeah. So it's a great gift, you know. Yeah, I, yeah. I definitely yeah, I'm going to send. Uh, well, I can't decide between chocolate and cheese for sending. You could do both. Yeah. Oh, there's an idea. Chocolate <laughs> and cheese go very well together. <laughs> but but chocolate travels better. Uh, I think. I don't know. Oh, you don't know? Maybe okay. it depends how hot okay. it is outside and how well okay. it's packed. Well, I'm thinking Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway, so, um, well, thank you for coming on the show. I look forward to your first show. Um, thank you. And uh, I think it will be really interesting to have you in our, uh, in our um, group. I, I'm really looking forward to it. I've been a longtime listener and even been a – a guest a couple of times in the past. And, um, and I just, I'm just really happy to be part of the cutting the curd team and to be working with you and Kara and Carlos. Good. Very good, good, good. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jessica Kesselman. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Maybe we'll have dinner. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Goodbye. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.